The scripture reading this morning is going to be in Matthew chapter 8. We've been reading through the book of Matthew for our scripture reading time together. We're in chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. If you can, please stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. Matthew chapter 8 begins this way. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came, following, uh, came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be, will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion uh, and, the centurion, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This is to fulfill which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our disease. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. And he was, uh, and he was asleep. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of, of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, 
go. And they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. You may be seated. Turn now to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. For our sermon today, we'll be here in Proverbs chapter 5. We've been going through the book of Proverbs. One of the great beauties of working through a book of the Bible is that we must face uncomfortable topics. Many times, preachers will even avoid things that make them uncomfortable or things that the congregation will find uncomfortable. But when we work through books of the Bible, we find that God does not find these things uncomfortable at all. God is quite comfortable dealing with serious issues or with the seriousness or even beauty of the uncomfortable topics. Too often we as parents or as, church, as churches have bottled up these uncomfortable topics, keeping them hidden. In turn, the sinful world has taken the lead and filled in the gap for us. Instead of parents in the church taking the opportunity to teach about topics like abortion, divorce, and, he- and homosexuality, we've allowed the culture to teach us and our children that abortion is about women's rights rather than about uh, taking away the unborn child's rights and value. We've allowed the culture to teach us that, uh, teach us and our children that divorce is just part of life. And if you no longer love the person or if you think there's no other way to fix the marriage, that divorce is the best option rather than taking the stand of Scripture that God hates divorce. Divorce, when it does happen, should not be celebrated as a freedom, but rather understood for what it truly is, the serious and disastrous outcome of living in a very sinful and very broken world. We've allowed the culture to teach us and our children that homosexuality is normal, and should be celebrated rather than seen as a complete confusion and reversal of the created order as it teaches in Romans chapter 1. Today, we'll be looking at the dangers of sexual sin and the joy found in sexual intimacy with your spouse. But before we even begin, we must remember what Jonathan Aiken reminds each of us. He says, Solomon warns his son not to fall for the forbidden or immoral woman, that is, sexual sin. That it, is a parental respon- that it is a parental responsibility dads and moms have with their children. You should have the talk with your children. In fact, you should have multiple talks. Solomon speaks continuously to his son throughout the book. Parents, you need to be the expert on sex to your children. Do not abdicate that responsibility to television, the internet, or to your children's peers simply because talking about it might be weird. And churches also need to be experts on sex instead of avoiding the subject. God talks a lot about it. Sex is a powerful gift from God, and we need to proclaim the beauty of sex in marriage as Solomon does here and in the book of Song of Solomon. So with that said, let's read Proverbs chapter 5 and jump into our passage this morning. Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, says this, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. 
Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the paths of life, and her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Let strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity uncomfortable though it may be. Your word gives us insight, gives us knowledge, gives us wisdom in how to deal with marriage. Lord, how to deal with sexual sin. Lord, your word tells us it is wise to avoid sexual sin, yet many times we act in foolishness. Lord, I pray you would be here today. Lord, we already know the enemy is at work and he desires to snatch the words right out of our ears. God, I pray you would would hold the enemy at bay that we may hear these words and that we may listen. God, help us to respond to your word, not to my words, but to your word. Praise in your name, amen. These first 14 verses, we see essentially this command. We see that we are to run away from honey lips. Run away from honey lips. First point in the outline then today is run away from honey lips. This passage is not being sexist. We might, as you read this passage, you might look at this and say, this is strange. I mean, it's all about a woman trying to like engage this guy. That seems kind of odd. I mean, isn't that isn't that not usually how it is? Isn't it usually the other way around? So we need to understand this This chapter is not being sexist. Uh, Jonathan Aiken again notes, the figure of the immoral woman stands for a very real sexual sin that the son can commit with a woman. But Solomon is not absolving the son of his part in this, nor is he making a statement about any predatory makeup of women. This is a father talking to his son, so the figure he, <coughs> he will warn him about is a woman. If he were talking to his daughter, He would talk about an immoral man. 
The fact is that men do this kind of predatory seduction more often than women. The section applies to women too. All they need to do is reverse the image. So ladies, before you think, this is about the forbidden woman, this isn't about me, think again, just reverse the image and it's just talking about you too. First thing we need to run away from when it comes to honey lips, we see in verses 1 through 6, we need to stay away from her dangerous words. Look at this. It says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. We already have the father has a competing message. He is saying, listen to my message. And look how this goes. That you may keep discretion, that your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than words. She has dangerous words. This image here can also be a, uh, a pretty seductive, a pretty uh, inappropriate, if not even like a, a somewhat sexual image taking place here as well in the sense of, of kissing type of intimacy that's also maybe at play here, that, that that kind of temptation may be there. But notice that it is her words that the father ultimately focuses on. It says that her speech is also smoother than oil. It is a universal truth that communication produces intimacy. If I've never talked to you, or would not, we would not, ha- if I had never spoken to you, we would not have a relationship. But once we talk, even if it's just about the weather, some kind of bond has formed. The more you talk, the deeper you talk, the closer the bond becomes. Gary Chapman, in his book, uh, uh, it's called Covenant Marriage, Communication and Intimacy, he lists five different levels of communication. First of all, the first level, level one communication is the fine, how are you type of communication. This is walking in the grocery store. You say, hey, have, how are you doing today? Oh, good, how are you? Good, that's good. And you kind of just walk past each other, right? Very little intimacy. There is a, a communication that takes place, but there's very little intimacy in that communication. Level two is what he calls just give me the facts, right? This is where you say, hey, how was the weather today? Oh, yeah, man, it, it is kind of warm outside today, isn't it? Oh, man, it's been cold the last couple days. Oh, my goodness, what's July going to be like, right? What's, what's the next weather going to be like? You know, these are just factual kind of conversations. Did you see this in the news? Yeah, I heard this in the news, right? Just give me the facts. Not much intimacy, but there's a deeper level of communication taking place. Level three, communication is do you know what I think kind of communication. This is when you start saying, yeah, I think X, Y, and Z. I think this about that situation. Yeah, you know, I think. When you do that kind of, you can notice how this intimacy becomes a little bit deeper. Now you are giving that person a piece of yourself. It is not just external facts, right? Now you are giving that person a piece of yourself. I think this. The next level of communication, level four communication, is tell uh, let me tell you how I feel type of communication. This is a deeper level of intimacy. Now it's saying, I don't just think this. This is how I feel about that. Level five communication is the let's be honest type of communication. Let's be honest. This is where you get to the real heart of the matter. This is where you have real deep conversations. In your own marriage, this could be what, what he describes as a knee-to-knee kind of conversation. The easiest way to have these higher-level kind of conversations is what he calls a knee-to-knee. It's where you sit face-to-face with your spouse, and you have these, you say, we're going to have honest conversation with one, each, one another, and we're going to talk about our, what we feel, how these things react. We, we're going to have purposeful conversation in these knee-to-knee kind of scenarios. 
in marriage, level four and five conversations are an absolute must. Without them, you are guaranteed a shallow marriage with very little true intimacy. Outside of marriage, I would recommend that you never have conversations with someone of the opposite sex above a level three type of communication. The reality of this is all too apparent. Men are suckers for flattery and women are creatures of the ear. Sexual unfaithfulness starts with communication. Communication may seem innocent enough at first. The woman in the cubicle beside you, beside you laughs at your jokes. The old boyfriend on Facebook interacts with you at a level that makes you feel important. Your friend at the gym seems to understand you better than your spouse. You think to yourself that a few text messages back and forth, even if they're a little flirty in nature, are not a big deal. We tell ourselves, well, I would not be doing this if my husband would just listen to me. Or maybe, well, my wife does not admire me like this woman does. If any of this sounds far too familiar, you should hear the Jaws theme music and run. Da-dun, da-dun, all right? Repeatedly emailing, texting, calling, or meeting up with someone of the opposite sex who is not your spouse is a major issue. It is massively stupid. You may think it's harmless, but you are absolutely wrong. You are forging an emotional intimacy through communication that can just lead to more. As a personal illustration, I, I, I see and I understand this very deeply. I make sure that any communication I have with someone that's not my wife, that she's included in that conversation. With church ministry type stuff, there's lots of times where the, the leaders of other aspects of a ministry is a female, and I need to communicate with them. I got to email them, or I got to send them a message on Facebook. Guess who's also in that conversation? My wife is. Why? Because even if it's just, hey, did you pick up that thing from Lifeway the other day? That's communication that my wife needs to know about. Even if it's completely harmless, even if it's level two, level three kind of conversation, if she does not know about it, what am I hiding? You see the danger of secrecy in marriage when it comes to communication, especially electronic communication. It's so easy to do electronic communication apart from your spouse. I would encourage you men, attach your wife to every email you send to another woman. Attach your wife to any conversation you have with another woman. Keep the accountability. Don't lose your marriage over this. Sometimes the communication can come from other sources, though. Our culture tells us that we should delay marriage as long as possible. Our culture tells women that guys like girls who are more sexually active and more aggressive. We are told that it is okay to cheat as long as she doesn't find out. We're told to follow our hearts and do what make us happy. Or maybe your own dissatisfaction with your spouse helps you justify your behavior. For many women, romance novels cause you to emotionally invest in a man that is not your husband. They cause you to be dissatisfied with him because your husband is not as sensitive or romantic as the guy in the book. This is also the seduction of pornography. Porn offers to men women who are more like men, that is, sexually aggressive, and to women, men who act more like women, they're emotionally sensitive. 
these messages cause you to paint a picture of an ideal spouse. Let me be clear. If your ideal spouse is anyone other than your spouse, then you are in very real danger. Not only do you see that there's danger in communication, there's dangerous words when it comes to this strange woman, when it comes to this foolish woman, we also see there's dangerous temporal consequences. Verse four, com- or verse four comes in, comes, uh, continues, it says, you know, talking about her lips are of a forbidden woman or drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Then it says, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. That's another word for referring to death, the place of death. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Again, don't go near it. Don't play with fire. It will burn you. And it continues here, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. Proverbs is clear. This woman's feet go down to death. But life is not the only thing that the strange woman takes or that the strange man would take. Verses 9 through 14 is describing this scenario where, where this man's honor and his, 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 his stuff, whatever it is, will go to the house of another. What's interesting here in the text is that this other person, these strangers that it's talking about, the, the word there, we don't see this in, in the English translation, but in the original language, this is male, these are male nouns that are, that are being used here. In other words, this is not the strange woman who takes all this stuff. So who is it? Well, in the case if this person is a, is, is a prostitute, this may be her pimp. If this is someone else's wife, this may be her husband. Verse 9 through 14, what it's talking about is either this woman's pimp or their husband taking revenge. But these consequences are generic enough to apply to all of us. Look in verse 9. It says, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the, merc- to the merciless. Sexual sin leads to a loss of honor. In this particular context, it's talking much about wealth or whatever makes a man great. Sexual sin will also cost time, your years of life to the merciless at the end of verse 9. What could have been used to properly provide for your family. Porn is a good example of an incredible waste of time when you could have been producing or providing for your family. These external manifestations of wealth are not the only thing that are lost, however. You will also lose your inner capacity to produce wealth. So where verse 9 talks about the external examples of your wealth, your, your honor, or your years of life, verse 10 talks about your inner capacity to produce wealth. Less strength, less strangers take the fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. You will lose your inner capacity to produce wealth. In this culture, it was possible that the wronged husband could actually enslave the adulterer. Waltke uh, explains it this way. He applies it this way. Although sexual immorality today, today may not lead to slavery, 
it still leads to alimony, child support, broken homes, hurt, jealousy, loneliness, and even venereal diseases. Sexual sin, as verse 11 shows, only leads to regret. Look at verse 11. It says, at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. But none notice how the son laments of his unwise choices in his sex, in his sex life. Look at verses 12 through 14. It says, this is the father giving this illustration. He says, and when all this happens and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. He's lost everything. The end of his life, he says, I've lost everything. I've lost the respect of the community. I've lost my money. I've lost my family. I've lost everything. The son blames no one but himself. But imagine if the father had not warned him, would not the father also be partly responsible? Not fully responsible. It was obviously the son's choices. But if the father had not warned him, it's possible the father would also be guilty, but because the father has warned him, the son has no one else to blame but himself. The son understands that he alone bears the guilt. These temporal consequences may not take place now. They may not even take, uh, may not even hit you before you die. However, you can be certain that you will give an account before the Lord one day for your sexual sin. Parents, like the father, God has given you stewardship of your children. Do you need to warn them about the very real dangers of sexual sin and the very real joys of a proper biblical sex life? If you think you have blown it and there's no hope, just wait. There's good news coming. Next we see point number two in this passage. We see that not only should we run away from honey lips, but we should also passionately pursue sweet water. Passionately pursue sweet water. Beginning in verse 15, Solomon begins a pretty erotic description of marital intimacy. Essentially, he gives one of the keys of fleeing sexual sin. The antidote to sexual sin is to be sexually active with your spouse. True intimacy is found in exclusivity. So we see here the key to fleeing sexual sin is enjoying marriage. Uh, let's, read, let's look at verses 15 uh, uh, through 20 here. It says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Aiken reminds us that Paul uses a similar strategy to Solomon in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, uh, in, in, in chapter 6, Paul had encouraged uh, the people there in, 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 in Corinth to flee from sexual immorality. And then in chapter 7, he gives, he, he explains, he says in chapter 7 that we ought to regularly enjoy sex in marriage. Let me read this for you uh, real quickly. This is pretty interesting. 
It says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says, Paul explains then that it is dangerous to withhold sex from one another. If you are not having sex regularly in marriage, that is a danger sign. It can destroy your marriage. Sexual intimacy binds you together with your spouse in a way that you are not bound with anyone else, just like with communication. You must develop this part of your marriage. Meet your spouse's needs rather than, rather than insisting that your needs be met. Practically, don't sleep in separate rooms. Do getaways with your children. Be gracious and kind to one another. Coming back to the passage, Raymond Ortland explains that God's remedy for your thirst for sex is sex. Overflowing sexual joy with your wife. This is what he means in verse 15 by your own cistern and your own well. Your wife is your own personal and private, divinely apportioned wellspring of endless sexual satisfaction. This terms a cistern and a well, these are places where water would be gathered and kept to, uh, to be able to provide water for the family. Well, basically what he says is, is that your wife is that provision for you. This is what God has provided for you to help you avoid sexual sin. You have a wife for that reason. And women, you have a husband for that same reason. Verse 16 gives the exact opposite advice of sow your wild oats. Look at what it says. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Use your divine imagination for a little bit. Yes, that's what it's talking about. Your streams should stay at home. Shouldn't go other places. Yes, it's awkward. That's what the Bible's saying. It's clear. The, uh, this, the world's advice of you need to sow your wild oats is not a biblical advice at all. Then he gives this illustration here. He says, let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers only. Let your fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. And then you stop and you go, what in the world are you talking about? A lovely deer and a graceful doe? This comparison to these animals, which likely refers to deer and a mountain goat, may seem odd to our ears. You may hunt and eat deer. Why would you compare your wife to a deer? That makes no sense. Without understanding the culture and the imagery, it would certainly be difficult to understand. One commentator explained that he had similar difficulty until he saw one of these mountain goats and observed this. He said he saw their bright black eyes, their graceful limbs, and their irresistible silky hair. And that might give us a little bit of an idea of what Solomon had in mind here. Husbands, you are called to enjoy your wife visually. 
Another pastor once explained that we ought not to have, our, have in our minds some type of woman that we prefer, we prefer. Guys often talk about this. What's your type? What's your type? What's your type? Right? Women may talk about this as well. What's, what type of guy do you like? Things like that, especially before you're married. Rather, though, our type ought to be defined by our spouse. Whatever my wife looks like, that's my type. If she ends up getting, getting huge, guess what? I like huge women. If she loses all of her hair, guess what? I like bald women. Right? Whatever she is, that is my type. Guys, that is so important. Our type should be defined by our spouse. She, your wife, or your husband, he may, is your type. Whatever she looks like, she is your type. Whatever changes her body goes through, guys, those features are your type. I had a professor who talked about his wife who was dying of cancer. He explained how she no longer had any hair, how weak and frail she looked, how different she looked from when they were first married. And he said this, and I'll never forget it. I heard this said, and I said, that's how I want to love my wife. He said this, She is more beautiful today than she has ever been. That is delighting in your spouse. No matter what happens, no matter what she looks like, that is the woman you desire. Then verse 19 gets quite erotic, to to say the least. Verse 19 says, Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated. Yes, this is the word for drunk, right? Be drunk with her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Raymond Ortland explains, the verse is emphasizing two things, both quality of married lovemaking, using the words be filled with the delight and be intoxicated, and also talking about the quantity of married lovemaking. These are the terms at all times and always. The Bible is saying, when you get married, drop all your inhibitions and go for it in both quality and quantity. This is a command of God. Back in the days of the Puritans, they were trying to be biblical. When a New England wife complained, first to her pastor and then the whole congregation, that her husband was neglecting their sex life, the church removed him as a member said, oh, you're not going to do that? God says you're supposed to. That's how seriously they took this command. God describes here that sex is a good thing to be enjoyed with complete freedom within the confines of a biblical heterosexual marriage. Outside of those parameters, any sexual activity is always sin. But inside those parameters, sex is, And sexual activity is always actually worshiping and honoring the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. We are called then to find delight in our spouse. Do you delight in your spouse? In all areas of marriage, and especially in sex, God's intention is for both partners to take a servanthood approach. 
This is very different than how we often think of these things. But God, God's command is that both partners should be taking the, the approach of being a servant. Each person should make it their goal to serve the other. The culture says that when you no longer delight in your spouse, you have fallen out of love with them and you should pursue love somewhere else, either by cheating or by divorce. Scripture says that if you desire someone other than your spouse, the remedy is to stop pursuing other people and to pursue your spouse. I'm not saying that marriage is always easy. In fact, marriage is always very difficult. Two sinners are taking their two lives and making them one. Now, how is that not, re- not a recipe for disaster, for trouble? God says, though, that marriage is very good in Genesis chapter 1. It says that God creates man, and then it says when he creates woman, he says, then it is very good. The husband-wife relationship in the eyes of God, according to Genesis 1, is very good. Even though it's tough, the best way to deal with your marriage troubles is to selflessly pursue one another. You may need someone to help you, like a counselor, but isn't it worth it? Wouldn't it be worth it? Apart from your relationship with Christ, your marriage is the most important and valuable aspect of your life. You must be willing to do whatever you can to protect that marriage. As we see in this section, and as one commentator explains, the best defense is a good offense. If we want to wisely protect our marriages, we must passionately pursue the sweet waters of marital intimacy. Not only must we run from the strange woman and passionately pursue our spouse, but in order to abstain from sexual sin, we must understand these eternal reality, the eternal realities that are at work here. We must understand the eternal realities. Point number three is understand the eternal realities. First of all, we see that the wicked will be punished. Even if none of the temporal consequences we mentioned before ever take place, rest assured that even if your sexual sin does not cause immediate death and destruction now, it will later. Proverbs, 3, Proverbs 5, verses 3 through 5, is clear that the sin that seems sweet as honey is ultimately bitter, and it leads to death. And then verses 21 through 23 says this, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Jonathan Aiken notes, Solomon says not to be intoxicated with this sexual sin because the Lord is watching. If you think no one will find out, you're foolish. God sees all of our sexual sin. We will be held accountable for it on Judgment Day. It will not go unnoticed. Even if by chance we avoid all the consequences in this life, we will not avoid judgment. Today's churches have been too focused lately on on a self-help version of this. We often merely talk about sexual sin at the level level of temporal consequences. Our appeal is to our own self-centeredness. We say things like, come on, you don't want to get pregnant, do you? We say things like, you don't want to get an STD, do you? Or you don't want to ruin intimacy with your future marriage, do you? You don't want to lose your money, do you? We're so afraid to use the word hell because we don't want to seem old-fashioned. 
but we need to use this word because sexual sin will drag us there. Solomon makes this clear throughout this chapter and in the next two chapters. So, if you were involved in sexual sin, is there any good news? I'm thankful to say, yes, there is. Woman folly and woman wisdom in Proverbs chapter 9. Here's our most beautiful part of this whole passage. Not to say that sexually desiring your wife is not beautiful. It absolutely is. But this is what makes that desire so beautiful. Proverbs 9 will actually describe woman folly in the same way as Proverbs describes a strange woman. If you were to read Proverbs chapter 9, you would see that woman folly is talked about in the same way the strange woman is talked about. To follow sexual sin is ultimately foolishness. It's ultimately to follow woman folly. But further, woman wisdom is described in similar terms as the wife of your youth. She has a message too. And Solomon basically tells her you need to marry woman wisdom. Follow her. Just like he encourages his son to be with the wife of his youth. Thus, not only is pursuing your spouse in itself wisdom, but it is also reflective of the relationship with ultimate wisdom, as we've seen in the book of Proverbs, that is, Jesus Christ. Throughout Proverbs, we've seen that true wisdom is a relationship with a person called wisdom. That person, as 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for your sexual foolishness. If you are in sexual sin, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Hope not just to help you walk through the temporal foolishness, but also to save you from the eternal consequences of hell. Sexual sin, nay, all sin, or what may be described as disobedience against God, demands and deserves death. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, took on humanity so that we, so that he could die the death that you and I deserve for our foolishness and for our sin. But not only did he die, three days later he rose from the dead, conquering sin and Satan and death. So that we might have life, true life. This life is what we call salvation. But like I said, this salvation is not merely some kind of salvation from temporal consequences. No, far greater than that, this salvation is a salvation from eternal consequences. This salvation guarantees by the power of the Holy Spirit that we will spend eternity in perfect harmony with God forever in a very real place called heaven. So let me ask you today. What's the Lord saying to you today? How is he speaking to your life? Is there an area of sexual sin in your life right now that you need to repent of and confess to him? Husbands and wives, maybe that's something that you also need to talk to your spouse about. Something that until now you've kept hidden from them, but it has destroyed the intimacy that should be there in your marriage relationship. Not only do you need to repent and confess to the Lord, but if you are married, you need, need, need to talk about that and confess that to your spouse so that there can be forgiveness and wholeness again. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. You say, you know, I, I have sin in my life, just like it's being described, sexual sin, or even other sin in my life. And 
it's going to destroy me. Scripture is clear that sin will destroy you. But as we've seen, there is hope in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you say, I don't have that hope. I don't have that hope. Let me tell you today. Today can be the day that you have that hope. During this next uh, moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. You're welcome to come and find me. Uh, I'll be here at the front. You can come and get me. Or you can, after the service, grab me and ask if, me if, ask if I can talk to you after the service. I'd love to have the opportunity to share with you how you can know for sure that you have hope in Jesus Christ. We live in a world that offer, often offers very little hope, but Jesus Christ offers real, true hope. And maybe today you're looking for a church home. I'm going to tell you today, we are a church that we're, we, will, we will pursue and we will preach all of Scripture whether or not it makes Justin uncomfortable. We'll talk about it. Why? Because God's word is precious. So we're going to talk about it. If you want to be in a church that talks about that kind of stuff, if you would like to join our church, please see me after the service or during the invitation. I'd love to share with you how we can, how we can work, in that, work that process out and how, we, how, you can, how you can join with us together. Now let me close this in a word of prayer as Wayne comes up. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. Lord, to be challenged by your word. Lord, sexual sin is often the darkest place in our souls. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to bring it up. Because as your scripture is clear, the result is always destructive. Lord, as your people, you call us to confess and repent of our sin. Confess to you, confess to our spouse, Lord, so that there can be unity in the marriage. that we would respond as your Holy Spirit is drawn. I pray this in your name. Amen.